So yesterday I did, um, four, yesterday was the 456th day of my Duolingo Spanish lessons. It's very helpful in keeping track of things like that. And I've got some resolutions, things I want to work on this year. So I'm going to continue to work on Spanish, but um, I've got some resolutions. I'm curious, do any of you have resolutions for the, this uh, coming year? Do you have resolutions? All right. My guess is that that's probably because we are older. Um, uh, about about uh, two in two in five people, adults in this country, have resolutions. But um, for younger people, it's three in five, which tells me there's a big drop off as people get old. And probably the reason for that is because um, because we get tired of failing in our resolutions. In fact, um, uh, our our typical the the typical uh, person who makes a resolution figures that it will last until February. And, um, you know, according to surveys, people think that it's going to last until February, but it doesn't. It actually only lasts until next Friday. The second Friday in January is when most people abandon their, or when the greatest number of people abandon their resolutions. So, so if you're planning to make it till February, you're thinking, well, I can make it at least February, maybe you should scale down and say, I'm going to make it past the second Friday. So, so. Um, you can you can try that, um, but don't be surprised if you fail. Only about one one in a dozen resolutions actually succeeds. So um, I want to talk a little bit about how we can maybe improve on that. If there's things you want to be different this year, um, maybe a resolution is not the right way to go about it. So so um, instead of resolutions, I want to talk about something else. And the reason is that resolutions show us something. Re- resolutions show us that change is easy. The problem is change is easy in both directions. It's easy to change something for a day or two or uh, until the second Friday of, of uh, January. What's hard is to lock it in, to make it a permanent change, to, to not change in the direction that we don't want to change. Um, in the 1600s, there was a man who was a philosopher named uh, Blaise Pascal, and he, he described something that he called the error of stoicism. He said, it's thinking you can do always what you can do sometimes. That we can all do something sometimes, but locking it in, that's the hard part. Change is hard because change is so easy. So what I want to do is I want to look at our lesson in that light. How we can, what, what can we learn from, from this um, lesson? And one of the things we'll see as we look at it is that, um, that the, they must be very good at not Changing because in that culture people hardly ever changed. Nothing changed. Uh, that over it, it change took place, but it happened on a very slow scale. Most people in this culture would have done the same work that their grandfather or grandmother did. They would have lived in the same town. They might live in the same house, but they would probably live in the same town. They would eat the same food. You know, no one showed up and said, "This is this new thing from Italy called pizza." No one did that. They ate the same food because hardly anything changed in that culture. And so, if we're if we're interested not so much in change, but in locking in change and making change permanent, there may be some things we can learn here. And as we'll see, there actually is something very important we can learn here. So, um, we're looking at the second chapter of Luke's biography of Jesus, and we're starting in verse 21. So with the scriptures in front of us, we read in verse 21, it says, when eight days had passed, Jesus' parents circumcised him and gave him the name Jesus. This was the name given to him by the angel when he before he was conceived. So why did they do that? 
you know, can you picture the conversation that morning? Mary and Joseph, they're going, I don't know, do you think we should, we should, uh, circumcise Jesus? You know, should we do that? Is today a good day for it? You know, your parents aren't in town, maybe we could wait, or maybe your parents are in town and we should wait for that. Um, uh, you know, we should, we should do it while they're here. Did they have that conversation? Did they think about when they were going to have Jesus circumcised? They didn't, and the reason for that is because it was required by the ritual law. In in the um, in the book of Leviticus, we read this: that on the eighth day, the flesh of the boy's skins, uh, boy's foreskin, must be circumcised. There's a must there; that that was what the ritual demanded. So they didn't have that conversation. They didn't think, "Is today a good day for it? Do you really feel like it? Maybe you know, I've got a bit of a cold coming on. Maybe I'll wait till tomorrow." They didn't do any of those things. They did what the law required because the law required it. They simply carried out their obligations under the the, the law. And then he uh, says, um, when the time came, so 33 days later, the the time came for Mary to be purified from from uh, the ritual uncleanliness that she would have had after having given birth. So the time comes for the ritual cleansing. In accordance with the law of Moses, they brought Jesus up to present him to the Lord. So there's two things going on this day. First of all, she's going to have the the ritual purification, and then Jesus is going to be dedicated to the Lord. The law says that every firstborn child, every firstborn goat for that matter, every firstborn anything is dedicated to God. But in the case of you know goats, you probably just, okay, have the goat, God. But in the case of a baby, you typically get the baby back. And the way you do that is by redeeming the baby. You give God a sacrifice. And um, you might think to yourself, well, you know, my firstborn child, I loved them at the time, and today they're kind of a headache. So you might be thinking, well, how much should I give God for the for the goat? I mean, how many goats does God want in exchange for my child? You might be thinking, well, what is the right price for getting your firstborn child back? But you don't have to in this culture because it's specified for you. You already know because, again, it's spelled out for you in the ritual law. It says every firstborn male will be dedicated to the Lord. And then it says how much you give the Lord to get the the child back. So it says, if the mother cannot afford a sheep, she can bring two turtle doves or two pigeons. So if she can't afford the sheep, that's that's one possibility. And there's even another possibility. If you can't afford two doves or two pigeons, there's actually something even lower than that. So people who are super poor can just bring a, um, a sack of flour, a tenth of an ephah of choice flour. So that's about about a quart of flour. So they go get a bag of flour and they bring it to the temple. So if you're really poor, you can even do that. So what we see is that the the parents of Jesus, uh, Mary and Joseph, they bring that middle offering. They can't afford the sheep, but they can afford two turtle doves. So they offered a sacrifice in keeping with what's stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. They haven't really made any decisions, or the only decision they, they really made was how much... Can we afford? Can we afford a goat? No, we can't. Our sheep. Can we afford a sheep? No, we can't. So we can afford two two turtle doves. So that's what they do. That's the only decision they really have in this matter. The fact that it happens on the thirty third day that wasn't their decision to make. It was commanded by the ritual. So that's Mary and Joseph. But then we read about a man named Simeon. So a man named Simeon was in Jerusalem, and we read that he was righteous and devout. So uh, Luke says that he is righteous and devout. What, is, what does he mean by righteous and devout? Well, righteous means he behaves properly. He, he does the right thing in relationship to everybody else. So in terms of the people around him, 
he behaves properly. He does the right thing for them. Okay, that's that's righteous. Devout means he does the right thing with respect to God. So he is he is right in both sets of relationships: the relations, the horizontal relations with other people, and the vertical relation with God. He is righteous and devout. So that means he's fulfilling all the aspects of the ritual law. So Simon Simeon is also um, someone who does what the law requires. He fulfills the ritual law. And then we read about a woman named Anna. Now, what do we read about Anna? She has a ritual of her own. So what is her ritual? She never never leaves the temple area. So scholars tell me that Luke is being hyperbolic here. She probably left. I don't know what the rules were, if they actually closed the place and, you know, janitors came in or something. I, I don't know what the deal was with the temple. But she, Luke says she never left the temple area, but worshiped God with fasting and prayer night and day. So as much as she could, she was there. So, um, so, um, she has a ritual of her own. It's not commanded by the law, but she makes it her habit. It is her ritual to go to the temple as, as frequently as she possibly can. So she does that. And it is there when all four of these people who probably hit, between them haven't made any decisions today. They've just, you know, they had to decide when to wake up. But everything else is pretty much on autopilot. They're doing what they always do. They're doing what the law requires. They're doing what they must. And it is then that they encounter each other. They intersect. Their lives intersect with what God is doing in this moment. So she, Anna, approached at that very moment and began to praise God and speak about Jesus to everyone who was looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Now, What's interesting about that is Anna found them at the right time. So the temple complex was huge. So I want you to picture Costco. If you're a member of Costco, is anyone not a member of Costco? I'm just curious. Okay, this is Alaska. All right. So, so if you, if you can't picture Costco, picture Target or Walmart, right? Picture a big, big, big store. Okay. Now multiply by 10. That's the size of the temple complex. It's a huge complex. It's been destroyed. Um, so we can't see that today. But that's how big the temple complex in Jerusalem was. So Anna shows up there when Mary and Joseph and Jesus and Simeon are all standing there talking. That's when she shows up. She was obviously guided by the Holy Spirit. Uh, Luke tells us that she is a prophetess, a um, uh, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel. So we know she's a prophet. She, we know that she um, has a special relationship with God and can can um, understand the, the prompting of the Holy Spirit better than most people. So she knows exactly when to arrive. She planned her circuit around the the the, the temple or whatever whatever it was. She she was there at the right moment. And we read about Simeon. So what about Simeon? Simeon has been waiting. Simeon has been um, doing uh, time waiting for God to do something. That it has been revealed to him that. Um, he wouldn't die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, sometimes people, you know, and sometimes in art, he's pictured as an old man. Luke doesn't tell us that. It simply says he's not going to die until he sees the Lord's Christ, and that's what he sees now. Does that mean he died immediately afterwards? No, but it might. So what happens with Simeon? Led by the Spirit, he went to the temple area. So he is in the habit of, of being, he is a devout person. He does what God calls. The Spirit says, do this, so he does it. Simeon took Jesus in his arms and praised God. He said, Now, Master, let your servant go in peace according to your word, because my eyes have seen your salvation. 
You prepared this salvation in the presence of all peoples. It's a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory for your people, Israel. So by following where the Holy Spirit led him that day, by doing what he what he's in the habit of doing, by tending to his relationship with the things of God, he is rewarded. He's rewarded with the thing that he has been waiting for. And even Mary and Joseph, his mother and father, Jesus' mother and father, they are amazed by what was said about him. So stop and think about that. You know, I mean, you've heard the Christmas story. What would it take at this point to amaze Mary and Joseph? You know, at this point, they've kind of got to be kind of, yeah, 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 God's doing something amazing, yeah, yeah, right? But they're amazed because of what Simeon tells them. And they, they each of them receive a gift from God as they do the thing that they really didn't even put any thought into. They just did what they were supposed to do. They did what the sneaker company tells you to do. They just did it. They didn't agonize over it. They didn't think, is this a good day? And the reason for that is that rituals are better than resolutions. Right? We fail at our resolutions, but we don't fail as much with resolutions. And there's a reason for that. Rituals don't need us to think. I heard a story once, a story, I heard a woman who was describing her journey through sobriety. She had been uh, sober for six years, and she said that as she approached her six-year anniversary, she started to get squirrely. She said her mind started thinking too much. And, and so she said, the good news is I have smart feet. And when my brain was getting all squirrely, my feet knew what to do. They took me to a meeting. And so she went to an AA meeting, and she said at that meeting, it was so helpful to her to kind of get out of her head that she went to 90 meetings over the next 90 days, that that she found that that was the thing she needed to do at that time, is to make a ritual of attending an AA meeting every day. She didn't have to think about it. She woke up in the morning and said, all I've got to do is decide which meeting to go to. She didn't have to think, should I go to a meeting today? She made a ritual out of it. And so she was able to to um, avoid the relapse that she was frightened about. So the reason for that is that rituals are better than resolutions. In 2002, um, the psychologist Daniel Kahneman uh, won the uh, Nobel Prize in Economics. And that seems like a strange combination, a, a psychologist getting a prize in economics. And he did it for something called prospect theory. That was what he was recognized for. And, and prospect theory is the idea that we are not little calculators that do math. That this, this was a surprise to economists. They, th- they thought that we were. And he did a lot of research over the course of his life um, and found out, no, we're not, we're not really good computers. We're not good at calculating. And so he wrote a book summarizing uh, what his findings were called Thinking Fast and Slow. And he says there's two kinds of thinking. There's fast thinking and there's slow thinking. Slow thinking is is accurate, but it's slow. It's it's expensive. It takes energy. You have to concentrate. Slow thinking is hard. But then there's fast thinking, and it's very easy. It's very cheap. Um, you don't have to put a lot of energy into it. It just happens naturally. So let me give you an example. This is slow thinking, right? It's not a hard math problem. You can do it, right? But you have to stop and think. Okay, what would that be? You know, carry the carry the six or whatever, right? So, so it's, it's a, it's a slow thinking problem. Now here's another one. Okay. Have you ever seen these on the internet? So you click on all the, the places there's a crosswalk. That is an incredibly easy problem for you, right? You just click, 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 right? But it's so hard for a computer, 
and probably an economist. It's so hard for a computer that they actually use our results to train computers. This is a hard problem. Computers have real trouble figuring out where is the crosswalk. And we find it so easy. So what they do is they just say, well, let's have a bunch of people do it, collect their answers, and have the computer see if there's anything in common, anything at all. And so that's the way machine learning works, is they've just said, there's things that people do very well. So let's just have them, a lot of them do it. And that will be in, in, in lieu of saying, well, I know what a crosswalk is. It's like, no, I just know what humans call a crosswalk. We think very quickly. And so the good thing is it's, it's, um, it's, we have both kinds of thinking. And, and <clears throat> so the, the, what, what makes it helpful to us is that we can move things from the expensive, the slow thinking, to the quick thinking, the easy thinking. That's what the woman was talking about when she said she had smart feet. She got out of her head and she did something with her feet. She had trained her feet to do something that she knew was what she wanted. And I was thinking about smart feet, and I remembered years ago we took a ballroom dancing class. Have any of you ever taken a dancing, you know, dancing lessons? Okay, so as long as you're thinking about the diagram, you're not dancing, right? And the whole point is at some point, if you do it enough, you will eventually learn to dance. But as long as you're looking down and going one and as long as you're doing that, you're not really dancing. And the, the goal is to move from the, the slow thinking, the expensive thinking, to the quick thinking. So the beautiful thing about, resolu- uh, about rituals is they don't need to be understood. That rituals, the whole point is, you know, I understood it at some level at one point, but then I moved it out of my head into my feet or into whatever it is, however it is that I accomplish this. That's basically what the law did for Mary and Joseph. It's what um, Anna's practice of going to the temple daily did. That she it put her in the right place at the right time. Now, if you're if you're not a Christian, if you're not sure what you think about Christianity, that's kind of where uh, you know we can stop. This this will work for you. You know, there's a reason that Kahneman got the Nobel Prize, so it works for you, and that's your lesson. But I want to encourage you to, to stick around because there's a little bit more that you might benefit from, even if you're not a Christian. So, what I want to talk about now is Christians and rituals, because Christians have a hard, uh, difficult relationship with with rituals. Uh, God knows we have plenty of them, right? I'm looking around and I'm seeing a bunch of people who are here on a Sunday. Why did you come on Sunday? Wouldn't Saturday have been a better day? How about Thursday night, right? But you came on Sunday. Why did you come? Because you have smart feet, right? You came here because you come here, right? There's no requirement. Jesus fulfilled the law. You don't have to come to church. But for 2,000 years, Christians have been in the habit, have have made a ritual of of gathering in church um Every week. So we do. Why 9.30? Why did we come here at 9.30 today? If you were up, if you rang in the new year last year, um, then you may be thinking, this is a terrible time to gather in worship. But here we are. Why? Because. Because we did, well, not last week. Last week was special. But normally, we gather at 9.30. It doesn't matter if it's a time zone change, a time, you know, whatever that thing is called, daylight time Right? It doesn't matter what's happened. It doesn't matter if we were up late last night. We gather at 9.30. Why? There's nothing special about it. It's not in the Bible. We just do it because it's a ritual. It makes things easier in general. So we we know this. And I mean, this is something we see. I plan the same worship service pretty much every week. So, And maybe it would be better if I didn't. 
maybe I could actually have a better worship service if I tinkered with it a lot. But I usually don't. And one of the reasons I don't is because I remember a passage C.S. Lewis wrote about how he attended a church where the preacher was in the habit of making those little tweaks. He was always changing things in the worship service. And he said, I wish that that man would realize what Jesus said was, tend my sheep, not run experiments on my rats. <laughs> so I typically do the same thing from week to week. It's it's pretty similar here from week to week. And um, so we have plenty of rituals. And at the same time, um, we know that there's there's something that makes us uneasy about rituals. Now, Jesus is okay with rituals. We know this. We know this because because he gave us the kind of mind with the the the, the Two kinds of thinking, right? Jesus, all things were created through him, and apart from him, nothing that was created came into being, right? Jesus created us. Jesus knows what kind of brain we've got, and Jesus had one himself. Like I mentioned to the young people, Jesus was fully human. Now, Jesus has been resurrected. I don't know what his brain is like now. Right? I don't know what the resurrection body is like. We get, we get intimations in the New Testament that it's better in some ways than, than the body he had before the resurrection. So I don't know what his brain is like now, but I know for the 33 years he walked the earth in his earthly ministry, Jesus had the same kind of brain that we have. He understands thinking fast and slow. Long before Daniel Kahneman did, Jesus knew about this. He gave us this kind of brain. In fact, we see Jesus had rituals of his own. We read in, in Luke's gospel that as often, that Jesus, as often as possible, Jesus withdrew to out of the way places for prayer. This was something he did customarily. Jesus had his own little rituals. And in fact, Jesus gave us rituals. We're gonna, we're gonna celebrate one of the rituals that Jesus gave us. So we know Jesus is okay with rituals, but at the same time we see in the New Testament that Jesus gives some very strong, uh, he strongly rejects human-made rituals. So we read in Mark's gospel about how the Pharisees and the legal experts asked Jesus, why are your disciples not living according to the rules handed down by the elders, but instead eat food with ritually unclean hands? And Jesus is not having any of that. He says, you ignore God's commandment while holding on to rules created by humans and handed down to you. He says that rituals are fine. He's okay with rituals. But he says, don't make it a law, that God has given you the law. So... Rituals are okay. It's, you know, you have permission from Jesus. You can have a ritual. Now, you just need to be careful about what kind of ritual you create. If your ritual is to make a golden calf and dance around it, I don't think you're going to find any support for that. You know, God has given us a law that we do not make graven images and we do not, we do not, um, behave in idolatrous fashion. So, <clears throat> so there are things that we, we know we can't do. But at the same time, we know what kind of brains we have and we know what works for us. So um, what what I would say is don't do things that you know are contrary to God's will and keep your rituals to yourself. Keep your rituals to yourself. Don't make them a rule for somebody else. That doesn't mean you can't ask somebody else for help, right? You you can do that, but just be very careful um, about saying, and therefore you need to do this too. That's the problem. Don't turn what works for you into something that other people should have to do. Now... I want to give you some practical examples because why not have some of those in a in a sermon? So um, let me give you a practical example of a ritual. I've got a, a pastor colleague in in Southern California, and every day he's got a watch that beeps. How many of you have watches that beep? 
right? It's so much easier to use your phone, so most of us who have the beeping watches gave up on it. But he's got a watch that beeps, and he sets it to beep at 10.02 every day, 10.02 in the morning. So why does he do that? Well, the reason is because of uh, Luke's, Luke's um, in Luke's biography, we see that chapter 10, verse 2, Jesus says, the 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 harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. Therefore, pray to the Lord of the harvest that He would send out workers into the field. So every day at ten o two, He prays for church workers and missionaries. He just does that customarily. He doesn't even think about it. His watch beeps, and He stops whatever He's doing, and He prays for church workers and missionaries. Sometimes longer, sometimes shorter, depending on what comes into His heart at that moment. But the practice, the ritual is when his watch beeps to do it. This is the way rituals work. You have a reminder of some kind, and then you do the ritual. I have a ritual. Whenever I hear a siren, I stop, and I pray for the people in that situation. I pray for the first responders, because who knows what they're going to be going into, and I pray for whoever it is that they're going to to or, or coming from, because whoever that is is probably having a very bad day. And I don't know what the details are, but God does. And so I simply take a moment and I pray to God that, that God would intervene in that situation in a way that helped the people who were involved. I don't travel as much as I used to. Back when I traveled a lot, I had a ritual. You know, you know, in the moment where, where the plane has taxied out to the end of the runway and then finally they get clearance to take off and they, they turn the corner and the, the pilot puts on the brakes and then runs up the engines, right? But he hasn't, it hasn't started rolling yet. You hear the engines go up. When I heard the engines go up, that reminded me, and I would take a moment and I would pray for the safe travel of everybody in the plane. So it just was a little ritual I had. And that's usually the way ritual works. There's some kind of reminder and then a ritual. So you can do this too. You can set your watch. You can you know listen to the airplane engines. Whatever it is, have a ritual ready to go and then do it. That's a ritual. Now, I want to I want to finish up this way. So, I've been using the word ritual and some of you may be saying, "Well, he's just talking about habits." And I am, but I'm not. Here's what I mean. See, everything I've talked about is pretty much what people who talk about habits is. But the difference in our reading is there's there's another party to what's going on. See, it's not just Mary and Joseph taking their baby to the temple. It's not just Anna going to the temple the way she always does. It's not just Simeon. There is another party to what's going on, and that is the Holy Spirit. And it's important for us to remember, as Christians at least, that when we make these rituals, when we do these rituals to carry out the will of God, to pray more, to to be silent, to read devotionally, to do the things that God calls us to do as spiritual disciplines, when we make a ritual of it, it's not simply developing a habit. It's creating a space for the Holy Spirit to enter the picture, to reward us, to to give us something that... I mean, what could have amazed Mary and Joseph at that point, but something did? What could have what could have told, told Simeon, today's the day to go to the temple, but the Holy Spirit? When we leave space... In our, when we use rituals, we create space for the Holy Spirit to reward us. So, lastly, allow the Holy Spirit to reward you. Think of, think of the ritual as a habit with a third party, the Holy Spirit. And let the Holy Spirit reward you as you carry out the ritual. Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, we thank you for the brains you've given us, the brains that think fast and slow. Help us, Lord, to to know the places you call us to change and help us to use rituals to help us to make those changes and to cement them in place. Lord, we pray that you would not only enable us to do these things, but that you would use your Holy Spirit, that by your Holy Spirit you would reward us so that we have a sense that you are party to what we are doing. All these things, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.